We live in each other and through each other. That's not poetic, it's molecular. It's also the core of remembering. During good times and especially bad, what sustains you is the connection to the people you love. Today on The Upbeat, I'm joined by award-winning poet and author Kimberly Pittman Schultz. Kimberly's book, Grieving Us, shares the same mission as this podcast to help people facing grief and loss to find joy again. Kimberly writes, teaches, and speaks about death, living mindfully, and being a force for change in the world to help others. She draws on her personal experiences with loss and grief, as well as more than 25 years as a philanthropy leader and a charitable and end-of-life planning advisor. By the end of today's episode, our listeners will learn some very practical ways to live with loss without losing yourself. Kimberly, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. You have a very personal story to tell. tell. You experienced loss at a very young age. Can you share what happened to your family when you were very young? Uh, Yeah, I sure can. I mean, I think, you know, all of us, you know, I'm going to think most of your listeners, I mean, almost everyone has some story of loss. And mine just happened to begin very young. Um, When I was about three and a half, uh, I had two sisters, one older and one younger. And um, uh, one October, there was a house fire at my home. And I woke up in the middle of the night um, to see a fire in the doorway of my bedroom. And I could not wake my sister. I was in a bunk bed. I was on the lower bunk. And I tried to wake my sister, my older sister, who uh, it was just before her seventh birthday. And I could not wake her. Um, my other sister, who was actually, she was two years old, she turned two that night, actually, it was her birthday, was in a crib uh, near the door and was kind of rattling. And um, I went to the window and I pounded on the window. Uh, I could look outside and I could see uh, my mother outside crying. I could see neighbors. And long story short, my father was able to uh, punch his hand through the window and rescue me. Um, but by the time he started to go back to the house, uh, there was an explosion inside the house and fire just engulfed everything. And um, my sisters could not be saved. Unimaginable grief. And you were just three and a half at the time? Yes. Yeah, I was three and a half. I will tell you, though, um, there's certain parts of that night, Mark, and I'm sure your listeners can really relate to that, that are as clear today. Uh, I won't say how many years later, okay. <laughs> but quite a few years later. Um, that are just as clear as that night, that are just literally burned into my memory. How do you recover from that? How does a, a three and a half year old, or, or or is it a blessing in some regards that you were just three and a half? Is If you were older, if you were fully able to process everything, if you were eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, would it have been more difficult? Well, you know, it's hard to say, um, but I think you would probably agree and many of your listeners that it's hard to ever fully process death. Um, it's it's a part of life. It's intimately a part of, of being a, a human being, of being a living, um, you know, animal body on the planet, if you will. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that age would have made any difference. I think for me, what made, you know, 
what made loss as a child and loss at any age is difficult, but as a child is just how my mother responded to the loss and my inability. My mother was so devastated by the loss for reasons I honestly wouldn't understand for 30 years later to fully understand the weight of what my mother lived with as a result of that fire that night. Um, but for me, my mother could never talk about it. She didn't want to talk about it. We were never, my father and I were never to mention the girls, uh, my sisters. And so as a very, at a very young age, very young child, I had no one really to talk about, talk to about what, what I was feeling, what happened. When you're very young, you get very confused. I remember, I still remember that I had broken a crayon of my older sisters. And so at some point I know my brain was thinking, you know, was she not coming back because she was mad because I broke the crayon, yeah, sure. um, you know, you know, and you children sometimes behave in ways that people don't understand because grief comes through a human body and emotion in so many different ways. Um, so I think for me, that was the hardest part is just, um, you know, I think it takes a lifetime and it would have really helped if I'd had, people that I could talk to at different points along my childhood to help to help that processing piece. That was the time, though. You weren't allowed to talk about it. You weren't allowed to speak of it because that would make people upset, right? My mother in particular. Yeah, my mother just, um, you know, my mother tried to take her own life, uh, you know, with about a year later. Uh, this was such a devastating loss for her. And so that was part of it. Um, and by the time I was age five, we we left the area that we had been living in. And, you know, we lived in a travel trailer for several years, traveling around, following my dad's job. He was a field engineer at that point. And so you're constantly moving. And so I just didn't have access to anyone that really I could talk to about it. And so you're just trying to make sense out of it at a time when you're still just even trying to figure out language. Right. You know, so it was, it was a challenge. When did you finally try to come to grips with it or make sense of it? How many years later? Oh, well, still to this day, in many cases, I think, as a child, um, but as I started to process, I mean, at some point I figured out, okay, you know, I understood what happened to my sisters, that they were gone. It didn't have anything to do with a broken crayon, but I think it did lead me, Mark, to become something of a spiritual seeker. You know, I was trying to, I had some experiences immediately after my sisters died that at the time, you know, and, and since I think people would kind of chalk off to, well, you were a little child and you probably dreamed it, but they were very real experiences, spiritual experiences to me as a child. So it led me to really try to search and understand, you know, what happens after life and is there a certain way to live? And so, you know, for many years, it was sort of a, a, a spiritual quest until I reached a point, um, you know, maybe in my 20s or so when I just decided, you know, to me, I came to the conclusion you know, all paths, whether religion, faith, uh, science, all lead to a lot of the same questions. And there is no one right path and that I'm going to have to make my own meaning out of this and my own meaning about my life and how to live. Uh, and I think if anything, I decided since my sisters lost their lives before they really even got started, I felt I became something of, uh, of an avatar, if you will, that part mm -hmm. of my mission, um, very in, uh, intentional decision in my 20s that I wanted to make sure that I was living for them as well as for myself, that I could be their eyes, that I could be their touch, that I could be with, you know, I could listen for them. And as I've lost other people over time, I've continued that process. And it is part of how I help hold on to the people I love. I love the analogy of an avatar, finding meaning in your life by living at least in part for the person you've lost a little a little piece of them lives on with us 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a weight at times. I mean, there have been times in my life where I've pushed that to an extreme where I feel like I've got to do, do, do. I can't waste my life because others have lost their lives so soon. And you can take anything to an extreme, but generally it has been a great comfort to me. And there have been times when I've been in very low points after a loss where that's part of what has gotten me sort of off the couch, if you will, or, 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 you know, kept my life moving forward in a positive way is to say to myself, well, even if I don't feel like, you know, going for this walk today, maybe my others, maybe my others would like to go see what's happening, you know, in the woods today, or maybe my others. And so it's been a way of just of helping me to keep moving forward. We're talking with Kimberly Pittman Schultz, author of Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. Now you've coined a phrase, tiny, come back to your senses rituals. And I think that's what you were just referring to. Practical ways to cultivate joy while also dealing with grief. Tell us about those rituals and how they came about. And also how can we, how can we use them? Absolutely. Well, I, you know, when I first discovered tiny, come back to your senses rituals, um, I didn't really have a name for them. I stumbled on it by accident. I mean, if you fast forward, you know, many years from my loss as a child, um, when I lost my mother, um, and then uh, short, about two weeks before I lost my mother, my neighbor, my next door neighbor and friend committed suicide. Um, I didn't witness it, fortunately, but she committed suicide under a tree that was right outside my kitchen window. So every time I looked at my kitchen window, I, you know, I could imagine, you know, I was trying to imagine what Ruth was going through yeah. um, that night. And, you know, and then I lose my mother two, two weeks later. Um, and then we moved across country and I, you know, I really helped them to sort of you know, fight or flight feeling. And um, I was offered a position on, you know, back on the West Coast. I had moved east to be close with my parents for a while, moved back to the West Coast. So so the reason I stumbled into tiny come back to your senses rituals is I was in a period for a really almost, well, actually a little bit more than two years of very, very deep grief. It was, it was very hard for me. I was in that sort of, so what, nothing matters. Um, it was hard to be enthusiastic about life. I had stopped doing a lot of things that I cared about because things, I just didn't feel a sense of meaning. And at that time, we lived on a stretch of a wild river in Washington state. And one night I always had, we all have habits and rituals. A lot of times those get broken when we're grieving, but I always had a habit of locking the doors before I went to bed at night. And one night, Mark, I decided to wander out to the edge of the river. I was feeling very down, very blue. And I just stood at the edge of the river and I listened to the water flowing over the rocks. And it was kind of a misty, damp night. So I could feel the mist shape, you know, kind of forming on the skin of my arms. I could hear birds roosting in trees, just kind of shuffling. And I just stood there for really a few minutes. And as I started to walk back to the house to go ahead and lock things up and go to bed, I realized in that space that I stood by the river that I was not in grief. I had taken a break from grief simply by opening up my senses and paying attention to the moment and just being in the moment. It had calmed my mind. It had calmed my emotions. Um, and it created this break. And I realized if I could do this by accident, I could start to do this intentionally. And I started creating a morning ritual where I would, and you don't have to live near a river. You can do this in an apartment. You can do this, you know, anywhere. But the idea is to start by just focusing in on your senses and just experiencing there's always so much more going on in the world than we ever really pay attention to and just you know focus on one sense you know what do things smell like what do they sound like and just letting that come into you and it, it's a you know it's a it's a form of mindfulness if you will and that really 
will help you take a break from grief. And I say, come back to your senses because that's what you're doing. You're using your own senses, your sensory healing to help you create that break in grief. And then once I had that break, I could start to then have the energy to do things I used to do. Um, so that's, that's what they are. Could it be as simple as enjoying the smell of your morning coffee? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I love to do, I'm a tea drinker, but you can do it with coffee is you can actually use all five senses to enjoy that cup of coffee, the warmth in your hands. You can watch the steam rising up from the cup. You can sniff it and take in all those aromas, the scent feeling of it going down your throat. It sounds too simple. I've had people say, well, how does something that simple make that big of a difference when you are in really deep grief? And it just does. Uh, it's not just, and someone said, oh, is it just a distraction? And it's more than a distraction. You know, it, distraction can be good when you're grieving. That creates yeah. a little bit of break too. But when you're doing this sort of sensory thing, it really does like just calm the mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And that creates a space for you to kind of get your bearings, get your head above the, the waters, so to speak. Another effective way to help with grief or help with the feelings associated with grief is to help others. Um, this organization, Kelly's Angels, has found that. I've found that personally, that helping others has made our road a little easier, has made the pain uh, lessened a little. Um, how have you found that to be? How is it that it's so helpful to help others? How is oh. it so, that it's so helpful to us to help others when we are yeah. experiencing grief? Yeah, you know, Mark, um, you and uh, Kelly's Angels, I mean, we are kindred spirits in that regard. Um, you know, I found myself drawn to the field of philanthropy and have spent a lot of my career helping people give to causes that are meaningful to them. And the way to kind of get to your question, there's sort of two parts for me and that what I discovered and this this came into play when I decided to write the book um, beginning last year and published this year is I realized how many people have, you know, give or volunteer or do random acts of kindness in part because they're dealing with grief or loss or trying to make sense out of something tragic that you can't ever really fully make sense out of. So the way it's good for, it's been good for the people I've worked with because they're taking a loss and, you know, maybe whether it's memorializing somebody or honoring somebody with the gift of time, talent, treasure, um, you know, that creates something positive. I think so often when we're grieving and certainly it's okay to be kind of caught up in yourself, especially in the early raw stages of grief yes. immediately after a loss, you need to be in your space. But at some point when you are able to get above yourself and see something larger than yourself and to try to take that loss and use it as a, as a vehicle, as a path to helping others, um, it will help you feel better. And it is another kind of a meaningful ritual um, for you. It, it is. And it's particularly gratifying um, in our instance for Kelly's Angels when others embrace the cause, when others rally around this, the same cause that uh, we we saw as as helping people initially. And people, our, our organization is all volunteers. And I think we all get a, a certain measure of gratification by helping others. So whether or not someone has suffered a loss in their family, though I'm guessing we all have at some point, um, we still get we still get something out of it. In your book, you talk about loss limbo and how you hope to help people avoid it. Tell us more about loss limbo. Yeah, it's funny when I use that phrase. Almost anyone who's had a 
a little bit more prolonged grief knows exactly what I mean. Uh, lost limbo is that feeling. And that's what I experienced those two years after the death of my mother and the suicide of my friend Ruth is I was in the state of limbo where the life I had before that loss just, you know, so that was in the past and I hadn't yet figured out how to, to take care of myself and move my own life forward in a meaningful way. And you are in that sort of limbo between the life you had when those beloved people were in the world with you physically and the world you're going to need to create and the life you need to create um, without them physically, but being able to take them with you. I'm definitely a big proponent of, and I've had people say this to me, you know, uh, at different times when I've been grieving, well, you need to let go of them. They're in the past. They're gone now. Move on. And I say, no, <laughs> no, I'm taking them with me, but I need to, you know, it takes a while to figure out how to take people with you when they're not physically in the world anymore. You have to take them with you in a different way. So, so lost limbo is that getting stuck. In, and again, one of the ways to get out of it is to start with like these tiny rituals that first help you just take little tiny grief breaks. You know, you're not going to feel like jumping out of bed in the morning immediately, but you get those little breaks from your grief. It gives you a chance to start expanding those breaks out. And then I say, start going back, either go back to things that you've given up. I had given up writing for a few years. Um, I'd given up doing a lot of walking and being out in nature, which is really important to who I am as a person, which a lot of people do when they're grieving. So part of it is also trying to take that break and grieve and start doing very tiny steps initially, right? But initially it's really hard, you know, to get off the couch or sometimes you're the hummingbird griever that's moving so fast, you're afraid to stop. You just keep yourself busy trying to stay one right. step ahead of grief that you're afraid to stop. So it is taking that little break and then starting to fill those breaks with um, activities that you are doing and that's meaningful to you. Doesn't it begin with the fundamental notion that it's okay to be happy? Oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. And I've certainly worked with individuals, either A, who haven't figured out how to be happy or who believe, you know, who feel guilty if they have a moment where they suddenly laugh and then you stop, right? And I think early in grief, almost all of us do that. I will say I've also had people that I've gotten to know and I've worked with over the years, um, not a lot, but a few where it's intentional. I can still think of one woman in particular who said, I don't want to be happy. My son's never coming back. I don't want to be happy. And it was just, it saddened me, um, but it was, and it was interesting to me that she had kind of made that decision but it, you know, we're, we're allowed. And the fact of the matter is, you know, there are very few of our beloved people who have left us that would want us languishing right. in an unfulfilled life. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to thank our underwriters. When we come back, we'll hear more from author and poet Kimberly Pittman Schultz. Support for The Upbeat comes from the Bobert Family Fund, which supports charitable organizations that efficiently use the resources they have to make a disproportional impact on the world around them. The Cartier Real Estate Group, a trusted boutique brokerage in Saratoga Springs, New York, that helps clients navigate the complicated and often unpredictable process of buying and selling homes. From expert guidance throughout your transaction to ongoing advice on improving market value, the Cartier Real Estate Group works to help clients at every price point Realize their residential and commercial real estate goals. Learn more at thecartiergroup.com. And Noble Ace Hardware in South Glens Falls, New York, which offers competitive pricing and high-quality products for just about anything you need. 
For more than 30 years, the team at Noble Ace has delivered on its promise to be the most helpful hardware store in town by providing excellent customer service that exceeds expectations and reflects family values during each and every visit. Joy is a habit. Like love, joy can be cultivated and practiced until it grows into a habit. Joy is more than feeling good. It's a form of resilience that helps you endure having your life broken so you can remake it. That was author Kimberly Pittman-Schultz reading an excerpt from her book, Grieving Us, A Field Guide for Living with Loss Without Losing Yourself. Kimberly, we started this podcast, uh, The Upbeat, during the pandemic because we recognized an unmet need and that the isolation and social distancing brought on by the pandemic was compounding the sense of loneliness and grief that many of us were feeling, especially those facing loss. As the world slowly returns to normal, what advice do you have for how we can re-enter the world when our hearts are still heavy from a loss? Finding our way into new lives after the pandemic for some people, for some of us, is going to be a journey for a while. Even after things seem to be, quote, fairly normal, um, there will be some for whom there's a real struggle day to day. What I would say is, I guess, in a very large context for everyone is to realize that during this pandemic, we have all been on very different paths. There have been some individuals that will never, quote, re-enter because they never left. Um, that had to get up every day, put on a mask and go sell us groceries, you know, uh, every single day the way they had before the pandemic, just with a mask and and perhaps a little bit of fear and anxiety. Um, There are others who did not lose anyone to COVID, but who lost people nevertheless. I mean, one of the things that really dawned on me early, especially when I was thinking about writing this book, is that, you know, probably one of the worst things about socially distant living is socially distanced dying. And I can't tell you, as I'm sure you've heard this too, where people could not be with their, the people that they love at the end of their lives. And they're struggling with a lot of regret or guilt or, you know, name any range of emotions. So in coming back, I'd say to everyone to realize we're all on different paths. There will be some of us coming back and trying to reemerge into, you know, life again, uh, who are dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear in ways that may not make sense to others. So I would say, you know, if you're someone that is struggling a little bit, a lot of times we want to hold that inside. We want to be protective. Maybe we're even embarrassed that, you know, everybody else is traveling and going to meetings and going to Mexico, you know, and I, I'm still very nervous just to even go into my office and or work in my cubicle. You know, I think if this is a time for being candid with people and without you know, sharing too much information to let people know, hey, I'm coming back in the house, but I need to let you know I'm still struggling with some some losses in my life. And it may not be loss of life. It may be loss of feeling a sense of security. It may be a loss of feeling a sense of purpose, having this conversation with employers about really giving people space because some people are going to struggle to just come back into the office on a regular basis. Or if you have a job that requires travel, you know, or you need to take a subway to get to work, all of those things, people could be coming to work with great anxiety. So I would just say, try, you don't have to give all your details about what the loss is, but to just be able to let your people know, I'm still working through some things. So I'd really, I'd really like a little grace to help me transition and then giving yourself time. In addition to writing, you also teach people how to find joy again. Tell me a little about that. Where can people learn about your classes? 
Yeah, well, I'm period, periodically off, you know, asked to talk and, and to talk about grief and loss and sort of grief healing practices. But as a result of my book, I do have a um, seven week workshop that it's called Inviting Joy into Grief. Um, and it's an active oriented, it's not really, someone asked me if it's a grief support group. It's really much more than that because it's really helping people to develop the rituals, the habits. Um, some mindset shifts, you know, really kind of creating that emotional flak jacket to help them, uh, you know, navigate the loss that they're in and begin to um, create new meaning and to build a new life after loss uh, and to navigate the challenges and the losses they're going to experience in the future. So, um, you know, one of the things that people can do is there'll be a landing page that I'm creating specifically for your listeners at my website, and there'll be some information there. If the, the program periodically opens, and if it's not open, there'll be a wait list that people can sign up for, and I'll reach out to folks and let them know when the program is open again um, to help them really create their own life support system for living with loss. By the way, I'm struck by the fact that all those years ago, you weren't allowed to talk about loss. You weren't allowed to talk about the tragic loss of your sisters in that fire. And now you're talking to the world about loss. What do you think your parents would think about it? What do you think your parents would think about you now helping people deal with their own loss? You know, it's interesting, Mark. That's an, I, no one's asked me that question. I absolutely love it. Um, one of the reasons that this book did not happen earlier in my life is there's multiple reasons, okay? Many things triggered the, the decision to write this book and decide if there's even a place or a need for this book, right? Um, but one of them is I wanted to wait until after my parents were gone because I didn't want to risk hurting them by talking openly about uh, grief and my own losses and uh, that kind of thing. So my answer is twofold. I think if my parents were still alive, this would be difficult for my mother, especially. Um, you know, My mother would not want me talking a whole lot about um, you know, uh, this loss yeah, that we experience as a family. But I do believe right? she would probably not feel comfortable you sharing all of this as you have shared with us here today. Yes, exactly. I think during life, that's how she would feel. But the way my mind processes it now also, Mark, and I think this is entirely fair, is that my mother, you know, if there is some place after this life where she is, um, who she who she is. I mean, I think there's a there would be an awareness. I think the ability to look down or look at or you know, I don't know what happens afterwards, right? But I think in this afterlife version of my mother, I I sort of feel there would be an all knowingness about her, and she would be incredibly proud because yeah. my parents knew I was a writer, and I know that my father would very much um, be supportive as well. So I think about it in two ways, and I do feel like right now. If they exist in some other dimension, um, they are 100% supportive because they will understand everything about the need to have this conversation, as you say, with, with the world beyond our family. Excellent. Kimberly, where can people find your book, Grieving Us? Yes. Uh, well, of course, the book is available wherever books are sold. Um, uh, you know, Amazon sells something like 75% of the books on the planet. So I always encourage people to also go to their local bookseller who can order the book for you and pretty much any side out. My book is available in all formats. But I also will have a landing page um, that I, I've set up for your listeners. That will My, my website is poetowl.com. And I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. And to get to the special landing page, it's poetowl.com slash 
upbeat. So when your listeners go to that page, I like to have a special page. So your, your podcast cover will be there. And it's sort of like going to somebody's house. You don't know. It's kind of nice to see something familiar when you get there. Excellent. Anything you'd like to talk about that we haven't discussed? I just hope that someone listening to this podcast finds some nugget of, of hope or inspiration or, you know, goes out and starts their own tiny come back to your senses ritual to create that break in grief. Um, and the only thing I would say, just knowing a little bit about the history of this podcast, is when you think about children and grief, there's a tendency to feel like, well, children are resilient, they'll get over it. The answer is yes and no. I would just say as an adult child <laughs> who's who's been through this, it is so important for children to have, and it may not be a parent, it may not be an immediate member of the family, it might be someone in their school setting, it might be a neighbor, it might be the school nurse, it might be you know, just someone else in their, their life universe who can be a listening ear and help a child um, be able to talk about and process that loss. Kimberly, thank you for taking the time to be a guest on The Upbeat. This was a lot of fun, uh, very enlightening, and I, I appreciate you sharing your personal story in the hope that it will help others. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been um, a pleasure. Um, it's unfortunate that loss brings us together, um, but in the end, uh, working together is how we are all going to get through loss. On the next episode, it's the welcome return of one of our favorite guests, psychologist Dr. Jerry Florio. Dr. Florio is back to coach us through managing holiday stress, and he has some useful tips for making our 2022 resolutions really stick. We hope you'll tune in to hear Dr. Florio's words of wisdom. It'll be a great way to end the year and begin the new one on a positive note. Until next time, I'm Mark Mulholland. Take care and stay on The Upbeat. If you enjoy The Upbeat, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have topics you'd like us to cover on The Upbeat, please send your ideas to theupbeatpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. On behalf of the volunteer board of Kelly's Angels and the families we help who are facing life-threatening conditions, thank you for listening to The Upbeat. Nice job, McKenna Rose. Thanks, Dad. You too.